Welcome to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, a program brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee, a servant of the Lord for over seven decades on five continents, culminated his ministry with a 21-year, book-by-book exposition of the entire Bible, which he called a life study. This life study is the basis of our program today, which includes short portions of the spoken messages given by Witness Lee. Now, let's join today's life study. In reading the Bible, sometimes it is the short, simple words that can provide the greatest insight into the richer meaning being conveyed. For example, take the little word, but. In chapter 4 of 1 Timothy, Paul begins with this three-letter word, the clear implication being that what is about to be spoken is in stark contrast to what was previously presented. And likely nowhere in Scripture is the contrast between two adjoining verses any more stark than this passage. Listen as the Apostle Paul turns from one of the highest revelations in the entire Bible to one of its darkest portions. In chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, Paul says, But if I delay, I write that you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and base of the truth. And confessedly great is the mystery of godliness. He who is manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. But the Spirit says expressly that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and teachings of demons." Matt Miller has joined us today for, I'd say, an interesting program before us, isn't it, Matt? I'd agree with you, Chris. It's a very interesting and enlightening program. If we'll stay with the Lord for this next half hour, I think a lot of light will come out of this program. I have always appreciated uh, in Witness Lee's ministry and in the writings of Watchman Nee, his uh, predecessor and mentor in many ways, how they were able to see these little words like but and of and in and oftentimes use them as a kind of a pry bar, to pry open the riches of something that we typically in our common reading would just overlook. It really seems to be the case in this portion, isn't it, Matt? I fully agree, Chris. This is a hallmark of this ministry to take things that we take for granted in our reading of the Bible, and then we hear Witness Lee talk about it and point out a simple word like but, and then we go back and read it, and yeah, the Bible does say that, and it is a stark contrast to the high revelation revealed in 1 Timothy three fifteen and 16 compared to this strong, dark, warning word in chapter 4, verse 1. It's the very next verse with that linking but. Mm -hmm. So I think we really have to pay attention to the Bible that's been in our hands for a long time, and we may take those things for granted. In the same principle, we're really focusing today on uh, this verse 1 in chapter 4. In the same principle of uh, not overlooking the obvious and really delving into it, he makes a point that we're going to somewhat focus on in this first section, and that is, how does the Spirit speak in the New Testament? Of course, in the Old Testament, we see many examples of the Spirit of God coming upon a person. Uh, Even at one time, the Spirit came upon a non-person, a donkey, an animal, and spoke. Uh, But the principle changes in the New Testament, even though many of our New Testament brothers and sisters like to use uh, the Old Testament technique when they're talking about the Spirit speaking, but we don't see Paul using uh, that Old Testament format so much. 
How does the Spirit speak? And uh, Witnessly provides us a companion verse here, I think, in the New Testament that really helps to see the principle in the New Testament employed when the Spirit has something to say. In Romans chapter 8, verse 16, it says, The Spirit himself witnesses with our spirit that we are the children of God. Very much what we're seeing in the example of the Apostle Paul here, aren't we? I'm looking forward to it, Chris. All right, here's Witness Lee, and uh, we'll be back to fellowship some more in a few minutes. After such a highlight, type four begins with the word but. It was glorious, but. But indicates something in contrast. That was glorious. That was bright. But now something that is dark. But the Spirit says, you have to see, in the New Testament, God firstly is incarnated into man and mingled with man. And then he becomes one Spirit with man. He that joined to the Lord is one Spirit. In the New Testament, it is this mingled spirit that says. This is why here it doesn't say the Spirit of God says, nor the Holy Spirit says, but the Spirit says. The Spirit implies our spirit. Why? Because this is the principle of incarnation. When this Spirit speaks, He speaks within our spirit and through our spirit and out from our spirit. So, if there's no one on this earth who is really one spirit with the very speaking God, I tell you, according to New Testament principle, there's no way for God to speak. Paul was the top one who was so much one spirit with the Lord. So he spoke a lot. Paul's concept is this. I am talking to you that the church is so wonderful. My, the church, the house of living God, the parent base of the truth, and even it is the great mystery of Godliness. After this, right away he said, but the Spirit says, you tell me where the Spirit says. Where? No doubt. In Paul's Spirit. This is the way of incarnation. So, if we are going to listen to such a speaking, we must also exercise our Spirit. Only Spirit can listen to the Spirit speaking. The mind is not qualified. The Spirit speaks to the Spirit. Only the Spirit responds to the Spirit. So we must exercise our Spirit. Matt, this is really an interesting scenario to ponder, the one he has just described. No doubt when Paul was writing those final verses in chapter 3, the pillar and base of the truth, the mystery of godliness, all of those marvelous things related to the church, uh, he had to be filled with encouragement. There was light and enlightenment there. 
But somehow he had the impression deep within him there was about to be this dark departure. And he realized this impression was coming to him very specifically from the Lord through and by the Spirit, didn't he? He did, Chris. And you mentioned uh, Romans 8.16 at the beginning of the program. And I think that's a critical verse because that's how Paul knew there was some kind of speaking from the Spirit because the Spirit was with his Spirit. Yeah. And there's three verses in the New Testament that mention the big S Spirit in the same verse with the small s spirit. Mm -hmm. So it's very clear that the spirit, that's the Lord's spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, that's God as the spirit, is with our human spirit, the spirit with a small s. That's part of us. There's three verses. John 3, 6, that which is born of the spirit, capital S, is spirit, small s. Mm -hmm. Our human spirit is born of the spirit. We have a human spirit. It was dead before that. We were dead. Mm Mm-hmm. The second one is John 4, 24, where it says, God is spirit, big S, and those who worship him must worship in spirit, small s. Now, when I first heard that, it was enlightening to me because I had never realized that my spirit was that important or that I even had a spirit. You mentioned earlier, used to hearing people say, thus saith the Lord. In sense, in the Old Testament way, like you mentioned with Balaam's donkey, even a donkey could speak for the Lord because the Spirit came on the donkey and Balaam's donkey spoke for the Lord. Well, what about Paul? Was he waiting for that kind of outward pouring of the Spirit before he would speak for the Lord? No, in the New Testament, as Witness Lee said, if someone is not one with the Lord in their spirit, according to the New Testament principle, God doesn't have a way to speak on the earth. So this matter of the Spirit with our spirit is critical. And that was Paul's experience, as he was saying here, the Spirit says expressly. How did the Spirit say that? Was there a voice in the corner of the room? Did all of a sudden his voice change? That always used to surprise me when someone would start talking. Their voice would change. It was so mysterious to me. But this is a very normal thing in a normal way where someone is living by the Spirit within their spirit, knowing the Lord in an intimate way, in a regular way, that he speaks through them normally. As Paul, right after speaking a high word about the church, the pillar and base of the truth, he comes right back and says, the Spirit says, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to doctrine of demons and seducing spirits. You know, I think in the Old Testament principle, it's as if the Spirit comes upon the person and uses the person as a kind of an instrument, almost like a surgeon uses a surgical tool. This is not that, even though at times we consider ourselves instruments in God's hands. But in the principle of incarnation, there's much more of an organic relationship between the spirit and the person as a vessel, as a container that is uh, marvelous. I think as he used this phrase, When the Lord does not have someone who is one spirit with him, he has no way to speak. Of course, that's based on 1 Corinthians 6, 17. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. And that is a different concept. It's a different thought altogether, isn't it, Matt? It is, Chris. And in fact, the last epistle, we're going to get to it here in 2 Timothy, that the Apostle Paul wrote of his 14 epistles Mm -hmm. was 2 Timothy at the end of his life. And the last verse in 2 Timothy, chapter 4, 22, says, The Lord be with your spirit. The most important message we can hear as Christians is the Lord is with our spirit, and we need to know him in such an intimate way. 
Matt, this has all been uh, ministry somewhat reading between the lines or in the nuances of this verse. Now, the verse uh, that we're looking at does have this very strong warning. You just mentioned it. I'll read again the last part of uh, verse 1 in chapter 4. Those who depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and teachings of demons. This is the dark side that Paul had this strong impression that was the Spirit's express speaking that we want to focus on now in these next uh, two sections. Let's go back to Witness Lee. Paul believed that the church was the house of the living God, the pillar, the base of the truth, and the church was even the mystery of the godliness. Yet, deep within his spirit, Paul knew that after the writing of this book, some of the believers will depart from the faith. What is the faith? That is the New Testament economy of God. Paul knew deep in his spirit, by that time he knew certain things would happen. He was very happy, right? He was very happy in chapter 3, to explain verses 15 and 16, he had the assurance, but, 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 the spirit that indwells his spirit tells him, after the writing of such a wonderful book, some will depart from this glorious situation. Some will leave from God's New Testament economy. And that was the beginning of the decline of the church life. Some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and teachings of demons. There are two categories of evil spirits. Today, the evil angels are in the air. And these demons are on the earth. Now, Paul, in this one verse, mentions something of them both. So today, among the Christians, there are some deceiving doctrines that come from the deceiving spirits in the air. And also, some kind of teachings which are very demonic that come from the demons. Matt, this verse, as he made a brief mention of in that portion, uh, draws our attention to the fact that there are two categories of these evil entities in the universe, the deceiving spirits and the teachings of demons. This has all kinds of implications related to spiritual warfare. But just briefly, because this is a transition portion that we really want to get to the final burden today, but say a little bit about these two categories of uh, Satan's collaborators. Well, Chris, like you said, there's a lot to say here, and we'll have to do it very briefly because we're going to run out of time. But, you know, Ephesians 6.12 says that our wrestling is not against blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world rulers of this darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenlies. And when the Lord was on the earth, as he faced these evil forces, one example was when he was crossing over the sea, and he was sleeping, and they woke him up, and he commanded the wind and the wave, and they stopped, and they said, who is this that has authority over the, even the wind 
and the waves obey him. And it's a picture that in the air, those are the evil spirits in the air. And that wind, he commanded them to stop. He has authority over those evil spirits. Right. And then he commanded the waves, and the waves became calm. He has authority over the demons. And we know that the demons are in the water because that's their home. Now, Genesis life study number two, the very second life study, gets into the background of this whole matter of the demons and the evil spirits. And we just don't have time in this program, but we just touch it enough to give people the background. If they want to get into this matter more, they can. But this is really a spiritual warfare And uh, there are demons on the earth, and there are evil spirits in the air. And as we'll find out in this section just ahead, verse 2 links these things to the kind of person that makes it possible for them to affect even the elect, even the believers themselves. Verse 2 says, well, I'll pick up the end of verse 1 so it's clear in context. Those who depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and teachings of demons by means of the hypocrisy of men who speak lies, of men who are branded in their own consciences with a hot iron. And we'll save our remaining time to fellowship on this important point, Matt. Right now, let's go back to Witness Lee. Then we're going to verse 2. Verse 2, again, is a modifier, modifying what uh, is mentioned in verse 1. In the hypocrisy of men. No doubt, this indicates the evil spirits and the dirty demons of this earth. They all work together through some men, hypocritical men. Some men among Christians are not real, are not honest, are false, right? Are hypocritical. We know these. We know these, right? Even among us, something happened. Hypocritical. Right? Not real, but all the way false. Pretending to be something, actually doing something else. This is hypocrisy. These kind of hypocrites, I tell you, are working, coordinating together with the evil spirit and the demons to bring in some kind of teaching, some kind of doctrine. <coughs> Apparently, they all seem to go. Actually, the nature of those teachings and doctrines are just deceiving. I do believe in my whole history of my Christian life, I met a number of so-called Christians who told lies. They lied. They are liars. You just recall a little bit. You just recall a little bit. How many lies you heard? Right? How many lies you heard? And those liars are coordinators with the spirit in the air and the demons on the earth to bring in the pretending false teaching. These hypocrites, these nominal Christians, they are seared in their own conscience. Yet, we all have to realize every liar is a coordinator with the spirits, evil ones in the air. 
and the demons on this earth. Be careful, don't lie. Well, this is a sobering, sobering word, even repeated at the end. You know, I was thinking, Matt, during that portion, the ninth of the Ten Commandments back in Exodus chapter 20 says, don't bear false witness, essentially saying, don't lie, don't lie. And here we just saw this matter of lying. And that's a commandment I think we all struggle with, that and the tenth about not coveting. These are the two that probably trip up nearly everybody. But there are serious consequences for a believer in this matter of lying, obviously, now, aren't there? It's a shocking word, Chris. Yeah. Because it's a warning that if we're liars, we're coordinating, we're cooperating with the demons for an evil purpose. And I'm sure that many Christians who would be in this realm of lying and cooperating and coordinating with demons, they're not doing it consciously. They're just not taking care of their conscience. And that's why with the Apostle Paul, I appreciate how he said he exercised himself daily to have a conscience void of offense so that he was a genuine person. And recently, Chris, I was in Texas visiting, and one of the ones in Texas asked me what was the main impression I had of Witness Lee. And I immediately answered him, the most striking thing that I remember about being with Witness Lee is that he was a very genuine person, that when you were with him, the closer you got to him, the more real he was. In a lot of organizations with a lot of people, the closer you get to them, the more you see the faults, the more you see corruptions. Yet I felt from my personal testimony of the time that I was close to Witness Lee, the closer I got to him, the more I saw how genuine he was. He was not fooling around. He was not playing a game. This was the real thing. He was a genuine person. Oftentimes, uh, he was criticized and still is criticized because uh, his speaking was frank. Sometimes it was misinterpreted as being uh, overly critical. The point was, as you just said, this was a man in his life and in his ministry whose yay was yay and his nay was nay. And uh, if there was something in truthfulness and honesty that needed to be spoken, he would speak it. And uh, wouldn't you say that has given rise to a lot of the misunderstanding even, that surrounds him in some circles? You know, Chris, when I first heard this word, this this message, mm-hmm. I thought it was a little strong for Witness Lee to say, Christians lie. He's talking about Christians lying. I thought, well, this is too strong. But then the more I thought about it, the Apostle Paul is obviously talking here about Christians lying because they're coming up with false doctrines, false teachings. No unbeliever is going to try to make a Christian teaching. Teachings of demons, a deceiving spirit. And it goes on in verse 3 to say that this means you should abstain from marriage. You should abstain from foods, forbidding marriage, abstaining from foods. So it's a very frank comment of Witness Lee's directed at Christians. Christians, especially Christian teachers, need to take care of their conscience. Matt, this matter is, as you said, shocking. We all have to be examined carefully before the Lord. Uh, If we want to be those who are strong in the faith, are able to walk in faith, then our conscience is uh, the most critical component. We saw this in a a message uh, just a couple of days ago, the linkage between the conscience and faith, and this matter of being true, not hypocritical, and not a liar as I said, is uh, something that plagues all of us as believers, and we really need to be 
I think, have our sensitivity heightened and have our conscience enlightened in this matter very, very much. I think it has altogether become too easy for believers to excuse uh, their recklessness with the truth. And uh, a good word, and appreciate your participation and also your firsthand testimony regarding uh, Witness Lee. Very helpful today. Thank you. Chris, thanks. And I'd like to add one quick word if I can. Sure. I know the time's up. But, you know, it may sound like we're self-righteous by saying this. But actually, I'd like to say it's the opposite. When you realize the need for the Lord's blood and his cleansing, because you know that you cannot do this on your own, and that's why my testimony for being with Witness Lee is he was genuine, but also he was constantly confessing his sin and constantly thanking the Lord for his precious cleansing blood. So we can't forget this is not a righteousness in ourselves. The only way we can maintain a clear conscience is by the Lord's precious blood. Boy, that is appropriate note to end on. After such a sober word, we can't help but all be uh, aware of how short we are of, uh, of meeting the standard of the New Testament in this important area. So a very fitting note to close. Matt, look forward to having you back uh, in the coming days as we continue in the life study of First and Second Timothy. Thanks, Chris. Our toll-free number we uh, would like to give to you and invite you to contact us so that you can get the printed messages, one eight 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 life study That's 888-543-3788. Join us again tomorrow when we continue in this fourth chapter in the life study of First Timothy. For Matt Miller, I'm Chris Wilde. Thanks for listening today. Millions of Christians have been strengthened in their faith through the ministry of Watchman Nee. In a recent release by Living Stream Ministry entitled The Overcoming Life, Watchman Nee sounds a call to the believers to pursue the normal Christian life that is hidden with God in Christ. The Overcoming Life is filled with truth, reverberates with hope, and brings the reader to renewed consecration. The Overcoming Life by Watchman Nee from Living Stream Ministry is available at Christian bookstores everywhere. Or you can order by calling 1-888-543-3788.